Welcome to the Collections by Michelle Brown Show, a show about people living between the lines, standing boldly in the crosshairs of their intersectionality as they create change. preparation for the special worship service at Full True Fellowship of Christ Church. I'm sitting down with the Reverend Dr. Renee McCoy to talk about her life and the history, power, presence, and future of this landmark in Detroit's African-American LGBTQ community. Reverend McCoy was born and lived most of her life in Detroit, where she attended parochial grade and high schools. Her life has been infused with the certainty of God's commitment to end oppressions of any kind. This belief, along with her trust in God's promises of abiding and unconditional love and acceptance, was shaped by her childhood faith. Her faith in the power and love of God has never wavered. In 1976, she met members of MCC Detroit's bar ministry team conducting outreach in LGBTQ bars. She attended worship the following day at the Metropolitan Community Church of Detroit and experienced a sense of belonging that had been missing from her life for many years. She later joined the church. She became chair of the MCC Racism Task Force, which eventually became the MCC People of African Descent. She was a founding member of a national coalition of black lesbians and gays, also known as NCBLG. While living in New York, she started the New York Third World LGBT Coalition, an NCBLG chapter focused on issues important to African-Americans and Latino LGBTQ persons. She was ordained at MCC New York in 1981 and went on to found Harlem Metropolitan Community Church. While living in Washington, D.C., she worked as the executive director of NCBLG at the time HIV and AIDS was approaching the height of global devastation. She remained the executive director of NCBLG after returning to Detroit. In 1988, she went to work for the Detroit Department of Health AIDS Program as liaison to the LGBTQ community and provided HIV testing services and prevention education throughout the metropolitan area. That same year, Reverend McCoy founded Full Truth Fellowship of Christ Church. Reverend McCoy now calls Seattle, Washington home with her wife. She's currently the co-pastor of Eastgate Congregational United Church of Christ in Bellevue. But her heart, her love, and passion remains with Full Truth Church and Detroit's African-American LGBTQ community. Reverend McCoy, welcome home and thank you 
for allowing Collections by Michelle Brown to share your story. How are you today? Um, oh, Michelle, I'm I'm doing great. It's a little rainy out here, but I'm uh, I'm doing great. Just uh, every day is a gift. I just had a birthday yesterday, so I'm I'm doing even greater. When you were coming up, you know, as a, in the Catholic Church, because you know, I'm an old Catholic school kid. Um, were there many African Americans in the schools you went to? Yeah, well, um, I went to a, a really small school, so there was like, uh, you know, a couple hundred students in there. Uh, it was a nice mixture, maybe half half African Americans, uh, and then some uh, Hispanics, uh, primarily Mexicans uh, and whites. So it was a, you know, it was a nice it was a nice mixture of of of, of students there. Mm-hmm. Now, you know, you talked about how it's um, the insensitivity to racial justice. And I know that I can recall, like, one of the first things that I remember was, you know, like we were Catholic, and asking one of the nuns, you know, if my aunt was going to go to heaven. And Mm -hmm. she went through this whole thing, well, you know, she wasn't Catholic, but, you know, that, and if she converted, then, you know, it was a, Mm-hmm. Elevator straight up. If not, there was some place in between where she would linger. Mm-hmm. And it was like, I can recall, like, and people say, well, what first made you, you doubt religion when it was like that? Because it was like, to me, like, wait a minute, God doesn't give out membership cards. I mean, if you live in this. <laughs> right, you right. Were, uh, so you were saying that you were shaken not only by the rejection of issues about racial justice, but these other issues, uh, you know, inequality towards women, homosexuality. Yeah, you know, when I was in, in school, though, the big issue was race. But mm-hmm. I, uh, we were, I, my family was the only Catholic family, the only Catholic branch of our family. And I was, so I, I had the influence of good, strong, uh, black Baptist men and women. And so I, you know, that was never an issue for me. It was, you know, I think my parents put us there because of the education was so good. But, um, but my faith was, was formed in, um, in the, the history of my grandparents and my ancestors and my aunts and my uncles and all those people who drug us to church uh, anyway. And, and the one thing that I always knew was that God loved me and that mm. God loved truth and that, and that when all else failed, God was there to receive me. So that was never an issue for me. It was it, my faith. I was very, very involved in the Catholic Church, very much in touch with God's presence in my life and God's acceptance. The other stuff uh, just sort of, just sort of uh, came about from um, seeing what other people did. I grew up during the civil rights era, and um, you know, on the one on the one hand, uh, we were you know standing in front of J.L. Hudson's collecting money for SNCC and watching you know Martin Luther King in real time, and then going home and seeing you know seeing what was on the TV that was happening. So we were very much aware. And the church was not insensitive to um, racial 
justice issues in terms of uh, racism, but uh, at the same time, we were not involved, uh, the church at that time was not involved in, uh, in civil rights at all. But we were, we were taught that, you know, that racism was wrong. We just didn't get involved. I happened to have graduated in 1967, and a few months after I graduated from high school, the Detroit riots happened. And the church, uh, our little church um, at that time, just took a, 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 a 360-degree turn and became very much um, supportive of the people in the community. Uh, the church where I went to, where I attended, um, I mean, we were right in the hood, but we never knew that. We just, mm. you know, we we just didn't get into the neighborhood at all. But the riots sort of shocked us and um, and really made us, uh, as a church, respond to to those kinds of issues. At the at that time, though, I you know, sexuality was was not was not on the table. It was just racial justice, and as um, as issues of sexuality and the role of women in the church grew, and I, you know, and I started college and started asking um, informed questions. The church became um, much more suspect, but there was, you know, I, I think that who I am today, I, I, I have to say, uh, was formed. That sensitivity to social justice was formed uh, certainly out of the doctrine of the Catholic Church. And that, and and the Baptist Church, that and that that lesson that God loves me, and that God mm. is that God is God is always God's presence is always available to me. That people uh, people will disappoint, but God will never disappoint, and that God is working it out as well. That mm. and so there there was a sense of right and wrong, and God was always there. Um, so I was able to, you know, to see, um, to see the difference between what God was doing and what, what people were doing and, um, and trusted God through it all. And I, and I also saw God's action in my family and God's, God's love for my family and my family's love and, and loyalty to God. So, um, so that was always my, my go-to place. You know, mm-hmm. I, I can't think of a day that I've gone through that I've felt that God did not love me. And, I, and it's exciting and compelling for me. And I grew up believing that if it was good for me, then it must be good for my people, regardless of whatever, uh, whatever the world might say. Um, that, you know, I've, I've sort of been on this mission to, um, you know, to, to run and tell that, you know, and, and, mm-hmm. and I'm sure that that was, you know, certainly from, from, from birth, you know, that, mm-hmm. that everybody is entitled to be good and happy and everybody is good and everybody is entitled to be happy and free and that we have a responsibility to, um, to help other folks um, reach that point. Does, does that make sense? You know. That, 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 yeah. That? I, uh, were you prepared to to feel that touch on your shoulder about you know faith from a bar ministry? I mean, were you sort of surprised that here it was, and 
Yeah, and that that's yes. going to lead you to that. Yes, I you know I uh, I went through um, I was very disappointed in the Catholic Church, and so at that time I had sort of rejected all kind of or any kind of organized religion because I was I was out and I was uh, and I I knew that uh, I was I was lesbian and I was proud of who I was and uh, I had come out to some people in the church and they were. Uh, really, you know, negative and rejecting, and so I just said, "The hell with them." You know, it's not about <laughs> God; it's about those people. So um, I was just out doing my thing, you know, and uh, ran into these folks from MCC who said, "You know, not only does God love you, but here's a place where you can worship." And I had been looking for a place to worship. That's the one thing that I missed the most in the Catholic Church was I love the ritual and the worship mm-hmm. and the community. And here were some people who were uh, talking about this community. Now, I'll tell you, I, I sort of chuckled when I saw them out in the bar. And I was, um, so I, I just happened to drop into the church one day. I was out, I, I was at my mom's washing my car, you know, which is what you do on a Sunday in Detroit. <laughs> you wash your car. Mm-hmm. And I washed my car, so I was driving down Woodward, and it was about time for worship to start. So I said, I'll stop in and see what these folks are talking about. But I, um, I, didn't, I didn't think that, um, that there would ever be a place for me to build a community centered on God's love and God's acceptance. And um, so I just accepted that, and I just said, well, you know, I'll just do my thing with God. And uh, and we'll be all right. But it, it's organized religion that I I found I had problems with, not God. Um, and then coming into MCC, and here were people who were uh, you know talking about God and 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 talking about being proud to be gay and talking about doing something to change the lives of 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 other uh, gay folks. Because I was out there, I was out you know I was doing what people do. And I also, you know, and I saw how much uh, folks were struggling, man. You know, I saw the the stuff, not that people were doing to us, but that we were doing to ourselves. Mm-hmm. And uh, mm-hmm. I had been in a very uh, abusive relationship, and, um, and I got out of that. And I didn't, you know, I, 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 I kind of felt like I was, I was not good enough um, and um, and and here was a church, you know, because church was was where we went to to work through our stuff. And I didn't have anybody to work through my stuff with me because I was gay, you know. I mm-hmm. 1976, you know, we were there was you know it was all kind of stuff going on. Um, I ran into you know other issues in the church like racism, but racism was. You know, MCC Detroit was was pretty much a white a white church, and they had you know all that that racial racial stuff. But I knew how to handle that, and you know here was a place that you know all of my stuff, and I found that you know with God's help um, I could get through it. But I had been out for quite a while when I when I came back into the church and. Uh, and it just worked for me. And I figured, well, if it works for me, then it can work for a whole bunch of other people, you know, because I was, uh, 
you know, uh, we were, you know, yeah, it was almost 10 years uh, after Christopher Street, and, you know, gay was mm-hmm. really, really bad. Mm-hmm. So um, there was, it was not, it was not good, you know. We were facing racism in the bars, and uh, we were facing violence on the street, and people were, it was just bad. But I knew that, um, that, that it was God's love that brought me through the early years of coming out. And I, I just felt like I, I didn't want anybody else to have to go through that. It's like you had up this calling and you found this space, this church, to where then some of the things that you were seeing, you took on. You know, you were with... Uh, the racism task force, because you know, people don't often yeah. want to admit how how or that, what do they say? The most segregated place in America is Sunday morning in the church. But you Absolutely. not only found a church, but you you took on that, and you you became one of the founding members of a national coalition for Black lesbians and gays. Was were people there thinking about this, and just and you just sort of walked in, or? You know, did they realize that they, we've got a problem, what we should do? Or were you that that spark that brought well, these it, things in together? Well, I think that the leadership of, of MCC back then uh, was aware of, because it, it, I think the, the civil rights movement was inspiration for, for, uh, for the gay rights movement. And... Um, and when you look at it, it were people of it was people of color that mm-hmm. really started, you know, Christopher Street and and mm-hmm. and and the MCC at that time and still uh, had a commitment to uh, inclusivity. And uh, fortunately, uh, the pastor of the church in Detroit, Nancy Wilson, uh, was was someone who encouraged uh, who encouraged me to think this through. And uh, and stood with me. Uh, MCC now um, has gugabs of, of, of African Americans and and other people of color in leadership positions and um, and um, throughout the throughout the denomination. So um, it was um, it was just time. And and you can't talk about an inclusive and liberating theology and, uh, and sort of, you know, cherry-pick what you want. So MCC really had to live up to its commitment to being an inclusive church, and I think that, um, that they still do, and they still, you know, struggle with that. But, um, mm-hmm. but it was a matter of uh, who, you know, sort of who will go. And I was there, and I said, this is... This I feel God called me to do, um, and to do it as as clergy. And at the same time, on a national level, national coalitions for Black lesbians and gays, there were uh, a, a few of us around the country who said, "Well, you know, let's start uh, a, a national organization that will address our needs as well." And uh, and then we had wonderful, wonderful people who partnered with us, who uh, you know, like. Um, like Audrey Lord, I mean Audrey Lord was mm-hmm. was was there. Um, uh, Craig Harris, Pat Parker, many people who have gone before now. Mm-hmm. Um, but we had 
a lot of other people, and we just came together and said, now is the time for us. We cannot, uh, the gay community was not embracing uh, uh, LGBTQ people of color, and he said, you know, that's, that's unacceptable. And so we sort of pushed our way in. But that we knew. This is how we were raised, Michelle. This, mm-hmm. is, this, was, this was what we did. This is what black folks did back then. You know, mm-hmm. we, uh, we, we, we fought for our respect and, uh, and upheld our respect as people. And the thing was that we knew that God had called it into being. Whoever was in, in political office, wherever, it wasn't about them. We had a right. It was a God-given right. And with God on our side, you know, I, I, I always say to people, if you want to find God, look for the person who is oppressed and where, where, there's, where there's hurt and harm. There is where you'll find God working to make a change, to make it better, because God has promised life to us. God has promised only good things. And, um, and so we need to go get what we deserve, you know, that resurrection happened. And so God was always calling us out of whatever tombs we found mm-hmm. ourselves. And, and, um, and for me, I saw that we were in this tomb of rejection and despair thinking we were not worthy, and yet we are worthy. And, um, and so that, that just fired me up. You know, how, you important, know? how important do you feel it was for you to have gone to New York? Because in New York, that's where you got ordained. You started the Harlem MCC Church. Yeah. You continued your work. And I know, I mean, you mentioned Audre Lord, Pat Parker. How important was it in your world view of what needed to happen, your world religious view for our community, the black LGBT community, was that time for you in New York? Oh, it was, it was critical. Um, I needed to know, well, you know, New York was, you know, it was exciting and that was where things were happening and I needed to, to be where people were being involved and getting involved and not a lot was going on in Detroit back then. And uh, I needed to, to be around folks who were doing something, but I also needed to get out of Detroit. You know, sometimes you just need to leave home mm-hmm. in order to, to sort of find yourself. And, and that was what was going on for me uh, going to, to New York, too. Uh, I, wanted to, I wanted to be where folks were talking about gay issues and where people were doing stuff in the street. Detroit was was home and it was uh it was kind of quiet at the time uh, the gay community i mean we hadn't even had a, a a good gay march back then, and nobody was really talking about doing anything that was black and gay my folk my my family was was uh was not that receptive they you know they've always loved me and always supported me but they were they were like you know don't you don't have to do this black gay thing <laughs> Just sort of, you know, you can be mm-hmm. gay, but you don't have to. Everybody doesn't have to know about it. You don't have to do this church thing, and um, and and I, I just, you know, personally needed a needed a change of scenery. Um, 
you know, so I went to, to New York, but New York was, um, you know, it was New York. It was exciting. Mm-hmm. There were a lot of people, and, um, and it was close to Washington, and, uh, and I had friends who were doing things, and, and you know, and yet it was, it was much the same because there was, but there was some organizing uh, happening for uh, black, black lesbians and gays in New York, and I needed to do that, and I needed to learn what was going on in the street. I, you know, I, I, I still had that little Catholic girl um, sort of protected thing going on. And uh, New York was a, a place to, to, to really come out, you know, mm-hmm. and, and do what you do. You know, um, mm-hmm. at, the, at the time, uh, Nancy Wilson had left MCC Detroit, and so I didn't have anyone to help me learn um, you know, what it meant to be a pastor. So I could do that uh, at MCC New York and, um, um, and still, you know, still get the kind of training that I, I needed. Um, they weren't letting uh, gay folks in the seminary. So there was Union Seminary there in, uh, in New York, and I had some friends that were going to school there so I could get some, some theological training uh, there were, you know, it, it was, it was good for me to learn, uh, the to learn liberation theology and to learn the academics of it. Um, you know, I, 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 I wasn't, I didn't have the the kind of uh, academic credentials at the time that I needed either. So, um, but it was New York was New York, you know, and it was a good place to to learn to be an activist, uh, certainly an LGBTQ activist as well. Do where at what point was it when you were here in Detroit or after you got there, did you recognize that you didn't just want to be a member of the church. You wanted to study theology, to become a pastor. When did that come to you? Oh, in, in Detroit. In Detroit. Mm-hmm. I was a student I was a student clergy at uh, MCC Detroit. Uh so I had begun the path to, uh, to becoming ordained uh, while I was in Detroit. And I did, you know, and I still did, um, you know, some preaching, some, you know, some, some stuff, but as a, as a student clergy. And, um, but when Nancy Wilson left, I didn't have any supervisor either because mm-hmm. they still had to, you know, they had to search for a pastor and all of that. So um, rather than interrupt that, uh, I still continued working at MCC New York. Uh, so it was, it was, uh, you know, I knew that I was going to be clergy when I was in New York and Detroit and mm-hmm. stu- and did some, you know, some, some stuff, but as a, as a student clergy, uh, back then. So when, as you became, you know, in New York, when you got ready to start MCC Harlem, did you think back on that day when you were washing the car, just going to cruise by? And yes. See, see, did you ever think, like, how did I get here? Or Yes, you know, yes, all heart? of it, you know, I, uh-huh. all, all the time, all the time. I think about, you know, what, um, how that, that path took, and I, and I, I realized that, it, it it wasn't something I was I considered as a Catholic girl because the, all you could be as a woman was a nun. Mm-hmm. But uh, here was an opportunity for me 
to be, you know, full clergy and to do, uh, to do it all. So, um, I, yeah, I, I always think back to that, to that day. It was actually a, a, a bar called Mary's Memory Lounge over in, uh, in the, yeah, I mm-hmm. still remember over in the Hispanic neighborhood, over in, in Mexican village, that, where I was. Oh. Well, Renee, we're going to take a short break right here. And we're back talking with Reverend Mary McCoy. One of the strongest memories I have of you is we were, you know, we were Uh doing a dinner at Detroit Summer, and you came in, and you had a pager on, and you had been out ministering to people who had HIV and AIDS, many of who are dying, Mm. and it was like you had just got there for dinner. You had came in, and before you could get in the door, good, your pager went off. And it was like you had this, this like, you know, part of you was like, I want to come in, but the other part is I know what this means. I know mm-hmm. this is where I have to be. It is hard. And there was mm-hmm. a way that you just sort of like steeled yourself to what you needed to do, found that inner strength, and you turned and you went. A lot of your work has involved the community who have HIV and AIDS. Mm-hmm. I mean, I mean, I I can still see that look in your face, mm-hmm. and and to be that person to have you come in there, you know how there's that song that says you've got a friend. That's mm-hmm. what what it said. You were going, and that person would look up no matter what place they were at that. They had a friend. And I know that um, after you assumed leadership with NCBLG, that that was about the time that HIV and AIDS was really reaching the height. Did you realize it was going to be like that and how much of your life was going to be devoted to that work? You know what, Michelle? Uh, When I became clergy, one of the things that I was always kind of scared of was death, right? So I said, well, you know, I'm in the gay community. One good thing that, that's going to happen is that I, I'm not going to have to deal with death and dying as a gay mm. pastor. And uh, I was, I started Harlem uh, MCC in 1981, in February of 1981. That was also the time that HIV and AIDS hit hard. So the church, when I became a licensed clergy, was at the same time that HIV hit the world, and um, and I I was I, I didn't know what to do, but here I was I I, I would look out at, at at the congregation that we had and it was a little small congregation it was the first time you know any church ever that was governed by uh, black LGBTQ people uh, was ever organized and open. And here we were dealing with HIV, and by we started the church in as an outreach of uh, MCC Detroit, no, New York, and in February by December, I was uh, visiting someone in Bronx Lebanon Hospital 
with full-blown AIDS. And back then, it was a horrible, horrible sight. You know, you had to, mm-hmm. they didn't know what was, it was called a gay disease. And from that point on, uh, AIDS became part of, of who I was. And all of us at that point had AIDS and in, in, in one way or another. And I would look out at, at, at my congregation and, um, and not know what to do. But everybody, all the men around me were dying. I lived in Harlem at that time as well. And uh, I worked as, um, with homeless women in Midtown, New York, in the Midtown section of, of New York City, and did some uh, real street ministry. And that was the other thing that New York allowed me to do was a real hands-on street ministry. And so I also worked uh, on the streets of, of Harlem with, uh, uh, you know, drug addicts and, um, and folks in Harlem. And all around me I was dealing with homeless, homeless women in Midtown and, and um and then we had this strange disease, and I was dealing with, you know, heroin addicts in, in, uh, in Harlem, and uh, we would see people um, with this disease in Harlem. It wasn't just gays. We were looking at uh, IV drug users and folks uh, on the streets of Harlem that were, that were dying, and sometimes you could just look at them. Their, their, their lymph nodes would be so swollen in their neck mm. you could see people. And uh, and in the gay community, you know, I was pretty active in the gay community in New York. And all the men that were, we had a little group called the um, New York Coalition of Third World Lesbians and Gays. And in that group, people were dying; they were getting sick. And um, and and we were we were who they went. For you know, I still remember the first young man that I went to see with AIDS, and the first thing he asked me was, "Am I is am I going to hell?" And mm. I and I I I talked to him about how much God loved him and how much uh, God was proud of who he was and and how you know how that disease, whatever it was, wasn't punishment because that's what the church was saying. They were saying, you know, this is you're being punished for this and. And so, um, you know, all my friends were dying, and, and it was a horrible disease. And there were so many people who, who were there that we, you know, we, we, we don't even know about. Uh, but people like uh, Craig Harris, uh, um, you know, Essex Hemphill, um, that were, were my friends, Joe Beam, um, who, were, who were sick and who were dying. And, um, and we, you know, we did what we could. We did what we could. So um, the, one of the reasons that uh, I, I wanted to come back to Detroit was, you know, I would come home and, and people were dying there too. But I felt like black gays and lesbians and transgender people needed to know that God loves us. And... Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I felt like I was doing a whole lot of stuff uh, in Detroit, I mean, in New York, and then I'd done a lot of stuff in Washington, D.C., but I needed to come home, and I needed to, 
use whatever skills I had at home to do um, to to address the issues of HIV and AIDS. And um, I I've forgotten about you know when when you you're talking about that, but there nobody in the churches were were dealing with um, with God and and people weren't burying the dead, you know, for black gays and lesbians. Uh, the, the, the blacks who were dying from HIV um, needed to know that God was there. And we mm-hmm. had the AIDS hospice. And so um, what you're talking about, the, the I really forgot I had that pager on, but mm-hmm. uh, I was sort of on call at the AIDS hospice and, um, and spent a lot of time there just, being with people, but back then, if you were black and and gay, you know, families weren't even claiming the bodies, and um, and that's why full truth had to come into existence. We were burying the dead, burying mm-hmm. the dead, and 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 feeding feeding people who didn't have food to eat because they were spending their money trying to trying to get medication, which we didn't have. And people who just felt that that HIV and AIDS was taking their lives and they deserved to die, and um, and and none of the churches would be there for them. None of the churches. Uh, you know, we worked out a little deal with uh, uh, Jeter Memorial Funeral Home, and mm. um, and so that we could we could get 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 good good funeral services, and um, people were. When people died, they didn't want them to know that they were that they died of AIDS, or they wouldn't let their lovers come to the funeral, or they didn't want the gay community at the funeral, and they didn't want anybody to know that they were that they had died of AIDS, and so there was this shame, 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 and um, and I knew I knew that God was not God was not a God of shame, and. Um, and uh and that's that's kind of how how full truth came about um but uh hiv was uh it was it was the center of my life and remains so uh for 30 some odd years really you know and you know and the importance of having when we were working together with michigan women and aids and i can recall going to a church and, I mean, this was like you would think like it's been a while, but to have during Women's Day the pastor who was still up there talking about they and them outside the mm-hmm. church who had this disease that was just killing them. And, you know, and, and like you said, somehow or other they had sort of, you know, that, like, that lifestyle had done it, and, but they should be, they should pray for them. You know, they should pray yeah. for those people out there. And afterwards, you know, I went and talked to him. I was telling him about the statistics of women who who were infected and others. And said, you know, there might be somebody sitting right here. And hearing that is like they're never going to come out or maybe not even go and get the help they need because you weren't hearing love. And that's what they needed. And that's where full truth became that place. Yes, yes, absolutely, absolutely. When um, a group of people came and talked to me about um, about starting a, a little church there in in Detroit, 
um, you know, and I said, well, let's do this. And there was about uh, ten of us got together and said, well, let's let's start this church. And once we started the church, we also started a, a, a AIDS organization so that we could get some funding. And mm-hmm. it was called Hopes, uh, Healing Ourselves Through Prevention, Education, and Services. And we started that organization as well. And what we did at Full Truth is once a week we had what we called empowerment meals. And we provided a space for people. We had a meal every every week, uh, and we, we had sort of a, a wrap session every week where we talked about how God had had been in their lives and we had worship you know we were we worshiped God together and and I did the funerals and we mm-hmm. we went to uh we went to AIDS hospice and we we cared for each other and we had a sense of community you know over over time a lot of other churches came and and helped but uh but back then when we started the church uh nobody would help us and yet there was such a need for the message of God's love to to get into our community. And that was what what made Full Truth Fellowship of Christ Church come alive. And, um, and then <clears throat> there were a couple other churches. There was a church, um, Carl Beans uh, worked in Los Angeles, and Zachary Jones worked in New York City. Uh, we partnered with them. To do um, to do a lot a lot of HIV stuff, but uh, for the most part, full um, truth was it. You know, it was it was where you came to get help, and um, and I you know I, I worked for the the health department at that time as well with HIV and AIDS, and mm-hmm. uh, we worked to get testing done and to get services in. Um, Interestingly, you know, I, I, right before I, I uh, left Detroit, I was the director of HIV and AIDS programs for the Detroit metropolitan area. But um, that was um, back in the early days. You know, I was working like uh, everybody else, doing what 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 I do. But uh, we think that now that that HIV and AIDS is gone, and yet it hasn't. Mm-hmm. Uh, HIV and AIDS is, continues to be a problem. Um, certainly among the, the transgender community uh, because there are no services, there's no testing, and, um, and still in the, the African-American uh, community. We, we think uh, it's gone away, but it hasn't. There's still young people getting diagnosed with, with HIV and still young people uh, living at risk. There's older people still at risk. HIV and AIDS has not disappeared. Um, and yet, you know, we kind of sort of sweep it under under the carpet, but um, mm-hmm. it's still an issue, you know. You know, um, I'll tell you, uh, they came to you and they said, we need to have this place. How did you go about finding that space? And, you know, and I think there's that, that whole history of finding that space and how did the community respond the full truth being right there. You know, um, the the space we we had a couple starts. You know, a couple little places where we started, and um, we at one point we rented a building out down on Woodward State Fair, and we just didn't have. You know, we we were sort of living on um, 
you know, donations and we got some funding and, and stuff like that. But um, I would, it, it's the strangest thing. I would uh, drive past this building where Full Truth is now. Every day I'd drive past it and it was a, it was a funeral home. It was the old Barnes, Burns funeral home. And I looked at mm-hmm. it and I said, you know what, that would make a good church. That make a good church. And uh, I drove by there one day, and there was a for sale sign. And I came back to the church, and I said, "Listen, let's let's buy this building. Um, let's let's do it." And um, we, uh, I, I went to uh, uh, Jeter, Reverend Jeter at Jeter Memorial Funeral Home, and uh, the Black Bank. I forget the name of the bank now. Um, it's called something else. Anyway, they had foreclosed on this building. And Reverend Jeter helped uh, connect me with the, the banker. And I went back to the church, and I said, we need to raise X amount of dollars to get this church and get this building. And a funeral home is, is actually perfect for a church because they had the chapels already in place. Oh, that's right. And, and, yeah, and the people live there. They live upstairs. So it's a, it's a beautiful, beautiful building. Um, and so it was, it was – uh, we, we – pulled our little money together and got the down payment on it. And the guy gave me 40 days. He said, he got 40 days to raise. I think we needed to raise $10,000 down. And we raised that $10,000 and then 40 days. And we bought that building. Um, and, um, and the community, you know, there's a real uh, staunch, uh, I think it, a uh, Pentecostal kind of church right next door. And they had tried to buy it, but they couldn't raise the money. Um, but we got it, and there was, you know, there was some, you know, there's some community pushback on it. But for the most part, uh, we didn't have a problem. The thing was that, full truth, uh, we we didn't hide ourselves. We didn't, you know, pretend to be uh, something we weren't. Um, they had, you know, we'd had several break-ins in the church and the other places that, where we had. Uh, but we just kept stepping. We just kept, you know, knowing that God had called that church into existence uh, because the that because God needed for our community to know that we were loved, that we were worthy, that we were good, and that we were capable of, of being whoever we wanted to be, and that God was proud of us, and that God was happy with us. And um, and because of that, that church uh, has has continued on. Um, you know, I I left, um, and and well, I I I don't think I'll ever leave Full Truth, but I I mm-hmm. I went on to um, I realized that I had done all I could with the education that I had, and so I went back to school and um, and with the church's blessing, and they they uh, hired uh, you know pastors uh, in the the following years um, to to do, you know, to, to, to sort of to, to run the church. But um, I needed to, you know, I couldn't stand up every day, every Sunday and say to people, you know, live your dream when I wasn't living my own personal mm-hmm. dream. And my personal dream for myself was to, was to get this, to get, I wanted to be a college professor. I wanted to, I wanted to have a PhD and I wanted to, you know, I wanted an education. I wanted to get more skills so that I could do better work and more work. Um, and I, I had used up all the knowledge I had. So I, uh, 
I left uh, as pastor of uh, Full Truth to do the work that uh, to get more to get more knowledge. And uh, but the community has has continued on, and the, the church has continued on. Um, how important is that message, though? You know, because now they talk about, you know, Detroit, they say, is still a black city. But they said that most people rent. And how important is that dream, that symbol of this church that the community needed as a home? And they came together and they bought, and it, it's paid for. How important yes. is that symbol and what is the message of that, that that maybe some of our young people need to get about commitment um, and are even living your dream? It is, it, is, it is absolutely critical that we get that. When Full Truth bought that building, it was the first time any gay organization had bought a building. Back then, we had the Triangle Center uh, was, was, was it. And affirmations was kind of written space, and um, and the Triangle Center was actually a gift from somebody. So the community mm-hmm. didn't buy the Triangle Building, but that was the first time uh, any gay organization bought anything. And then uh, for black gay and lesbian and and transgender organization, for black LGBTQ organization to buy land. It was it was it was incredible, uh, and and that's the first I know of anywhere in in Michigan certainly that a black group owned property, um, and 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 then they they struggled and paid for it, but it was the people in the community that bought that building, and you know we're we're looking for you know we we, we don't there's there's rooms in there there's there's space to have meetings there's space to to have events, there's uh, there's spaces where we can teach people to 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 where people can learn about jobs and learn about recovery and and it's a building that could be used to to feed folks. You know, we used to have meals there. Uh, it's a building that that uh, where people can go and just uh, talk to each other. We got issues. There are still issues in the Black LGBTQ community. Where you know where we can sit down with each other in a black LGBTQ space and talk about things like violence and sexual abuse and 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 recovery, where we can we can pro- provide counseling services. We can have a space where where we can talk about relationships, where we can talk about um, about what we can do. We can have a space where we can put our stuff. You know, we have mm-hmm. we don't have any place to to even put the the artifacts that we have as a black gay and lesbian community. That that building could be where we where we have a museum where we put uh, all of the the artifacts that we have as as we don't have any place to where we can see our history, where mm-hmm. we can see how beautiful we are. We can have art fairs in that building. There was you know the dream. You know, certainly my vision and the vision of the people who started it was that it would be a place where we can be who we can be and where we can come in and see. You know, young folks need to understand uh, what it was like, you know, what it looked like. We need a place where where we can be safe and talk about 
whatever we want to. Well, we got the key to the door. And, you know, and I think, in the, in the, and to learn that lesson, okay, because, you know, many people, you know, when they think of gay people, they think of rich white men. But mm-hmm. like you said, this was the first, and it was bought, you know, nobody came in and dropped a, a wad of money. It was caused by, by us pulling together, putting yes. our, our nickels, dimes, quarters, some of that folding money together, coming up with that and, and purchasing it so that we had something that was ours. And, you know, in this age where you have so many people of all generations who feel that they can't make a way, that that's right. what we did. Mm-hmm. Right. And, you know, I mean, I, I look at, I'm, 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 I think a lot of people don't know that Ruth Ellis was, was a member of Full Truth. She loved that little church, you know, mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, and, and what it was like for, for her to come and worship with us at, 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 at Full Truth. Uh, that, uh, you know, I love that, that I was Ruth Ellis' pastor at one point, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. um, and what a, you know, what a blessing that, that was and what a, what a humbling experience that was. Uh, but that uh, so many people came out of Full Truth and, started there and so many people realized through full truth that that god loved gays and lesbians and uh and and that god loved the lgbtq community so um you know it 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 can it 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 is in you know dire disrepair now the building is is falling apart um you know we got some problems coming back and re-engaging uh with the church to try and and solve those problems, but more than anything, uh, we need you know some community support to uh, to bring that building back and to look at the possibilities of the building and uh, the possibilities for um, for spiritual uh, support and spiritual development um, in that in that space. I know you know um, when you mentioned uh, Detroit Summer. One of the problem projects that Detroit Summers did was they put a mural of yeah they put a mural mm-hmm. on the back of Full Truth Building, and you know what Michelle? That what? mural has never been tagged. Mm-hmm. It is mm-hmm. I mean I you know I I it needs some work it needs to be touched up but you know this cost of the weather, but that community appreciated that mural to such an extent that 20 years later, that mural is still there and has never been tagged. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and, and there's been a lot of community support. Other churches came and supported it full through. When you are not afraid of who you are, other people will support you. And that's the message that Full Truth has. A lot of people will say to me, you know, and recently have said, you know, we don't need another, we don't need a gay church anymore. Yes, we do. We need a place where we can mm. say, this is, this, we were all created in the image of God. And God's image is bigger than anything we can imagine. God's image includes gays, lesbians, transgender people. God's image is, is the Muslim, is the, the, the homeless man on the street, it's the, the, the physically challenged person, God's image is big and alive. But if we don't celebrate the image of God that we have, then 
we are doing an injustice to the God we serve. We are saying, you know, God, I'm, I, I'm okay by who I am, part of who I am, and part of who you made me. God made us just as we are. You know, Jeremiah tells us that God looks at us and said, I knew you before you were formed in the womb, and I loved you, and I called you for But we have to find the courage to say, this is who I am. There are still young LGBTQ people being born, Mm -hmm. and we still have a message to tell those people that, and, you know, I was, when I was there, uh, a couple visits ago, I went to a comedy club out in uh, Southville, and one thing that I was, I was just shocked and appalled by was how many of those comedians still talk about, still make jokes about gay folks. Still going on. It's still going on. You know, I have uh, LGBTQ younger people in my family, and they talk to me when I'm home, and they tell me about, you know, what's going on, especially the transgender community and how many people get beat up and, you know, how mm-hmm. many people get, you know, and I was in one of the bars there, and uh, and I was, uh, while I was there, I was sort of listening to folks talking about how they, you know, the fights that they had, and they were, you know, and they're talking about the drugs that they were using, and I looked out in the alley, and folks are still, you know, uh, having sex in the cars, and just just not having respect for themselves, um, you know, getting high, and because they don't feel like they deserve anything better. And what full truth? And I'm not one of those Bible talking preachers, you know. I, I, hey, uh-huh. I, you know, I'm still, I'm still that same, same bull dyke that God called to be, whoever. So I'm still, you know, I'm still right from the hood, in the hood, love the hood, proud of the hood. Mm-hmm. But I also know that God calls us to have a better life, and and there's still a message for us to say, you know. Every day, you know, God loves you just as you are. Has given you what it what you need to be the best you can be, and that because you are gay or lesbian, that's a plus. That's a that is a that's a positive. And I think okay. that the message that we have got to begin to hear from the pulpit and from other people who say they are uh, Christians or people of faith. Is that you? You is that God got your back? Mm-hmm. When it's all said and done, God loves you just as you are, and God wants you to be the best you can be, just as you are, just as you are. You are good enough, and God is calling for you to be better. But you are already good enough. But okay, don't hide not. any peace. I know you okay, didn't need no sermon, right? <laughs> no, 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 no. But we're going to take our second break here, and. I'm speaking with Reverend Dr. Renee McCoy. And we're back, uh, Reverend McCoy. You know, you were talking about the things that are going on. And I know, like, um, I talked to one of the young people at at Ruth Ellis who talked about how she was concerned. Now, this is somebody who might have been 20, about the kids she was still seeing you know, sleeping in doorways or whatever. Yeah. And, you know, there's a part about full truth. And, like you said, 
why why would someone say we don't need it? Because if you don't know where you've come from, you don't know where you can go. And all this stuff is still going on. So here is this building that has this rich history. We came together and bought it. It was the place for people with HIV and AIDS. You talked about, you know, having our artifacts. I remember as a kid, remember when the Museum of African American History yes. was a lot of row houses, I want to say on on the boulevard. On Bo- yeah, Western you know, Boulevard, yeah. But, and now we have this other thing, so we can go and see our past, know where we are now, and, and think about what kind of future we want. And full truth, for particularly for the black LGBT community, that is that place that it could it is and can be all of that because yes. we need to know. I mean, we need to know. And how? I mean, it, I, it just boggles my mind when I hear people say, "Well, we don't need that anymore," because it's like you know they say, "Well, why do we still have black prides?" Well, why do we have churches that? You know, like if you're in an Italian neighborhood, might have a mass in Italian, a mass in Polish. You know, like other people aren't letting go of their heritage. But why, as you're talking to people and you talk to them about the sim- not only the symbolism, the place, the history of full truth, do they not see that we need this? Well, I think we want to be, you know, we, we, we always want to be in the mainstream. And, and I think that that's okay. You know, that's, that's all right for some people. We need, we need both. You know, we need to be, you know, I think that there are some churches, uh, certainly uh, One Detroit and uh, Whosoever Will. I'm so proud of those ministries. But, and they both came out of full truth. But, and I think that they have, they do some wonderful, wonderful things. Um, but there's still a need for us to see that that God can be that and some. You know that that there is that God's God's presence God's presence is larger than what we think. You know that that we don't need to erase our history in order to have a future, and that it is our history that that helps us shape our future. And right now, when, you know, it, the full truth, the, the building and the ministry is, 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 a, is a poor reflection of God's sacred presence in, in the gay and lesbian community. We need to be, um, uh, we need to show that, uh, that we are still a sacred people and uh, that we are, we are blessed and Everything that we do needs to reflect the blessing that God has put in our lives. You know, we we want to we, we get a we get a new job, we go out and buy a new car because we want our belongings to to reflect how blessed we are. And right now, um, our belongings do not reflect God's blessings in our lives. And when I say that, you know, our belongings as as mm-hmm. the building of the church. Is not does not adequately reflect God's love for Black LGBTQ people. Uh, it says that we have not been good stewards of the blessings that God has given us. I think it's you know it's it's also just really hard. It's hard to be out, and it's everybody wants to be you know you you, you want to be accepted. I get that. 
you want to, you know, you want to just not have everybody see you as, as the gay person. I get that. But, um, but at the same time, as being, you know, as, as part of the gay community, and I say gay to include LGBTQ, uh, as part of that community, we, we need to, to show that we are, that we are good. We need to, you know, we need to celebrate God, you know, as, as, and, and let, let our presence be a reflection of, of God's presence. And, and that's not, that's not happening. Um, but, you know, when, when, when it's hard to do sometimes, and I think that, that Full Truth has had some struggles over time. And, you know, we don't want to have to struggle here and struggle there and struggle everywhere. So I, I get that as well. But, but I think it's time for us to take a little more responsibility to save what we have worked so hard to, to develop and to create and to really make, um, make that, that building and that ministry uh, a reflection. It's not going to be for everybody. That's why we have so mm-hmm. many churches in Detroit. It's not for everybody. But if you believe that God has blessed you and you want to, you know, sort of show, show what God can do uh, for the next generation, then, it, you know, we really need, need help uh, in reviving both the, the building and, and the ministry and seeing the possibilities. God is not finished with us. And God has, has enabled us to, to keep that building all this time. And um, in a time when, you know, other folks are losing things, full truth still has it. But, um, you know, there's, well, what, it's, it's, mm-hmm. you know it's, it's so much more that we can do. Well, what would be your message? Okay, I mean, because we know that all the churches aren't packed on Sunday, okay? And there are some people who, like you said, have gone through that and have walked away from church. I mean, I know a lot of of young people who, and and not not just young, all generations, are some people who are like, you know, been there, done that, didn't do it for me. And they've gone on and they're doing that. What message would you say to the black LGBTQ community? And they'd say, well, I'm not going to go there. I'm not going to go there. But what message would you say to them to why they should give their time, talent, their tithes, even if they don't want to go there, to preserving full truth and this legacy? Because it's about building community, and it takes all kinds of, of pieces to build a community. And it's about building a community that's grounded in spirituality, not necessarily religion, but in spirituality, saying that we are not alone, that we have access to a power that's greater than ourselves, and that, that if, we can, if we can touch that power that's greater than ourselves and understand that when we have a relationship with that power that's greater than ourselves, there is nothing we cannot do. There is nowhere we cannot go. There is no one we cannot be. It's about understanding that when we build community, we take responsibility for everybody that's in that community, and we, and we are empowered. You know, the thing about power is power 
is only good when you give it away. And if we touch the power of, uh, of God, a higher power, a power that's greater than ourselves, then there is no limit to who we can be. There is power in our history. And the, the thing is that if we don't tell our history, someone else will. And we have mm. some control over what we say about where we've been. We have some control. And it is inspirational for people who are young and old to know that God has, God loves you because God loved me. And I can tell mm. you that God loves you because God loved me. And if we, when we build a community that is grounded in that love, I, we, we are assured that, that God's love will take us where we need to be and that God will, God really has our back, that we don't, there's nothing we need to be afraid of. There's nowhere we cannot go. God walks with us, and it is through, it, it, you know, it, it, so often we, we want to put, that, put our sexuality and our sexual identity on the shelf and, you know, and come back and get it when we need it. But the thing with, with developing a spiritual core says that we take all of our stuff with us when we go and that, and, and that all of us becomes really free. All of us becomes really powerful. The other thing is that, um, that I have learned over time that if we want things to change, we don't change things in the world by destroying what we hate. We change the world by saving what we love. And what we love is God. And we save how, we, how that love happens. We love one another. It's really that simple. It's about coming together and understanding that it's not about destroying what we hate. It's about saving what we love and saving one another and loving one another and saving one another. And how do we do that? And I think that, you know, Full Truth over there on Joy Road, 4458 Joy Road, is a place where we can create the kind of space where we can save what we love. It's not about destroying what we hate. You know, and what we love is one another, our health. You know, mm -hmm. sometimes we need to sit down. I'm a, a cancer survivor today, and, and sometimes I need to sit down, and, and I would love to be able to sit down with other LGBTQ people and talk about what, it, what, what that experience was, was having, having, having cancer as an LGBT person, you know? What, mm -hmm. does, what, does that, what is that about? And how can we learn to eat better? We're dealing with diabetes, and, and, and so many of us don't want to go to the doctor because we don't want to, we're afraid to go to the doctor because they might find out we're gay. So we don't mm -hmm. go to the doctor. We don't take care of our health. We don't do this. We don't do that because we're worried about people finding out what, we're gay. Well, come to full truth, and let's talk about what we need. Let's find out what we need to know. What do we need to know to be better? You know, what, what do we need to know about diabetes? Well, we don't have to worry about folks uh, looking at our, our sexual identity or our sexuality before they look at, at our health. But we don't have to explain who our lover is and why we're married and who our spouse is. Let's, you know, let's get that out the way and create that kind of safe space so that we can get on with taking care of the business of being alive and being the best that we can be. 
Did I answer your question, or did I just yes, go she, into another? No, <laughs> no, no, you did. You know, as people listen to that, I see that, you know, we're going to have a lot of people who have ideals, who are visionaries, people who want to preserve the history, people who see it as that, that, that space where you can go about health, diet, where people can come together, and you've already described the space. What's the best way for us to, to come together and do this? I mean, right now, if, you're, if someone is, is listening and they go like, you know, I need to go over there and check and see what kind of space that they have, who do they contact? Who do they talk to? Well, you know, um, I'll tell you, one good place to begin, I'm going to be there for a, uh, well, we're doing a, a, a homecoming service on um, April the 22nd at 5 o'clock at Full Truth, and I'd like to invite people to join me there for a little worship and see the building. Uh, right now, like I said, the building is in disrepair. We need to, to raise some money. We need a roof. <laughs> we need a roof and we need furnace. <laughs> we need mm-hmm. several furnaces. we got... You know, we need to, to we need to raise some money to make the building uh, to make the building safer and to make it you know to make it more attractive to take care of all the stuff that has happened over the years. Of, um, but one good place to start would be to attend that worship service. It's the address again is 4458 Joy Road. I'm going to be there on um, on Sunday the 22nd for a mm-hmm. uh, community uh, home homecoming service. And, uh, and and let's do that. Um, they can contact me. Uh, certainly, um, you know, you can, they, they want to. I'm on Facebook. Send me a Facebook message. Um, and, uh, you know, I try and do social media as much as I can with that. But um, but one good place is to come and worship worship with me on, um, on April the 22nd at 5 o'clock at Full Truth. And uh, and see there, but we also need people who who have some some skills, you know, some contractors to help us figure it out, you know, figure out what's what's the next the next best thing. Uh, mm-hmm. We need to raise some money to get to get the roof repaired, to get the the, the building back in in order. Uh, they're still worshiping there every Sunday, um, but the the best the best start I think is. Is to come on on Sunday the twenty second uh, for that worship service and uh, and to to reach out to me you know um, mm-hmm. through Facebook and and let me know um, message me you know stay in touch I I, I uh, I'm sure that they can mm-hmm. um, and I'm you know I'm I'm there uh, as much as I can be you know. Uh, I still, mm-hmm. you know, a pastor church here in in, in uh, Seattle. But just just let me know, you know. Let mm-hmm. you know. Let me know. Um, let's do something. It's not, uh, and and it's not for everybody. You know, everybody's mm-hmm. not going to say they, you know. But if it, if you don't believe in that, then it's not for you. This message is not for you. Uh, but if you do believe that that there are possibilities and really want to be a part of, uh, of the next phase of those possibilities and seeing that happen, uh, this is a message for you, you know, and, and I need all the help I can get. Well, besides the April 22nd, I know in September it will be 30 years. Are there you know, other things? So, you know, the, the dates are wrong. It's, it's, uh, it's 30 years next year. 
the, 30 the, years next year. Uh-huh. Yeah. Well, It'll well, be building, 29 years this year. Well, building towards, I mean, you know, September, I mean, are there going to be other events or special services to sort of pull people in? Are there anything, is there anything planned now? Or not right now. Or is it in planning stage? Okay. Yeah, not right now. We're still planning. Uh, we'll, I'll be back in June to do something. We're going to do something for June around the uh, the 10th or 11th of June as mm-hmm. well. Uh, and I'll, I'll get that out. But uh, we're going to do something um, something else in June and then um, something in September for the anniversary of the church. But in the meantime, uh, you know, there's a, I'm doing a, a roundtable discussion for some people. If, I think if folks are interested in really on Saturday the 21st, um, and that's a small gathering of people, um, but, um, you know, to just begin this conversation, uh, for the most part, we haven't done anything uh, really organized, um, just trying to uh, do what we can do. Uh, but this is, uh, well, we can't do it without the community. And so this is the beginning of of me asking the community to mm-hmm. to help and to reach out. Uh, and I realize other people have, you know, they have their own things to do. But if, if, um, if people have uh, some possibilities and want to, want to put some energy into the possibilities of of that. Oh, I also am going to be, you know, I'm um, uh, academically, I'm an anthropologist, and I will be um, uh, starting a project to collect um, uh, oral histories uh, mm. in the next few months so that uh, we can begin to tell that story. I call it a, a church full of truth. Uh, so I will be doing that as well. Uh, so I'm looking for people who were part of Full Truth in, in the last 20, 28 years uh, to tell their stories and try and preserve the stories of, of the faith journeys of black mm-hmm. LGBTQ people. So um, I'm, I'm trying to, to find the time to, to kick that off. I guess I just did. But I want to be able to, uh, to have that kind of information um, but we're also, you know, looking for artifacts that people have mm-hmm. um, so that uh, we can begin to archive those, that material as well. Um, so that's, you know, those are all in the beginning, beginning stages. Um, you know, Detroit's still my home, and I'm there, my family, everybody is there, so I'm, I'm there as much as I can be. It's about trying to get the building in in shape again and um and get a real clear vision and a plan for how do we move forward in the next 30 years of 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 this of this ministry and not let it not let it go and how do we build a good community you know not just Mm -hmm. a, a lgbtq community but uh certainly um how do we contribute to the building of a a strong black community in in Detroit uh, as well. Well, you know, it all it, it doesn't start without the beginning conversation and those first steps. And I think that you know that's it to talk about. This is this is what we need to do to do that. And then from that, it's a building a building uh, block towards it. Well, Renee, I want to. We've come to the end of our time. I want to thank you for.
always being a Detroiter and and, and oh, never absolutely. leaving us. And absolutely. never leaving us. And um, I'm going to uh, put this up. I will put your information. And who knows, um, maybe we can find some pictures of, of Full Truth for those who have forgotten that space, you know, or, yeah. you know, and I can put those up to show too. But um, it's a start. Uh, that's all we can do is to start and to make people aware. I think that sometimes we forget, um, you know, how many people have, can drive down Woodard and forget that there used to be a, a Hudson's there? So yeah, the yeah. Same thing. We don't want that to happen to where pretty soon people drive down Joy Road and don't remember that there was a full right. truth there because it will be there. So, Renee, yeah. you stay well, uh, and I will talk to you soon. Oh, thank you so, so much, Michelle. I'll talk uh-huh. to you when I talk to you. On Sunday, April 22nd, at 5 p.m., there will be a special worship service inviting the community to join in prayer and praise for the direction and grace of God as Full True Fellowship of Christ Church moves forward. The church is located at 4459 Joy Road in Detroit. Everyone is welcome. As Reverend McCoy said, the church is in need of immediate assistance for repairs. She's also seeking artifacts, including photos of not only the church's history, but of the history of Detroit's African-American LGBTQ community. To get more information or get involved, contact Reverend Dr. Renee McCoy by calling her at area code 206-605-9225 or emailing her at renee.mccoy2 at gmail.com.